well And all will be well And all manner of thing will be well Will be well Welcome to Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. I'm Chris Kreitjo. And I'm Stephen Caradini. And today we're going to talk about college, which is a subject that's near and dear to my heart as I work at a Research One uh, university here in North Carolina, North Carolina State. And I went to college. And you went to college. <laughs> and you're in uh, a seminary. Oh, so right. even though that's that's a, a different sort of university, it's still an establishment of higher education. And so we are very interested in how college works, uh, particularly public colleges, but also private colleges. Um, I've been the uh, enrollee of three different public universities over my academic career, uh, and uh, Chris has been enrolled in one public and one private uh, mm-hmm. institution. And so we're very interested in how college works. There's been a lot of conversation about, is college too expensive? We say yes. Are student loans onerous? We also say yes. Uh, is debt-free college something that we should support? We haven't talked about it. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things that are on the table right now about academia. But what we want to focus on today is Starbucks. on the nature – is on Starbucks, uh, which <laughs> might of. not seem like, kind of, yeah, might not seem like something that's a directly related to college, but we will get there. But overall, what we want to talk about is the people who make education possible. So people who are in charge of universities, corporations, and these sorts of things that are at the top level saying this is how education works. And so this comes from a a variety of articles that and issues that have just hit the news. Um, Corinthian, um, which was a organization that a for-profit organization that ran for-profit colleges, shut down, um, leaving sixteen thousand students in the lurch. Um, the LSU, yeah, for real, sixteen thousand is just yeah, it's, it's a, a lot. lot of students. It's like two-thirds of the student population at the University of Oklahoma where we did our undergrad or four of my seminary. <laughs> yeah. It's just gone. Yeah. There's no school for it's, them now. What? It's big. Big. So on the other end, we have Louisiana State University, mostly known as LSU, who has the misfortune of residing in the state of Louisiana where <laughs> – <laughs> Where the the state lawmakers have decided that they're going to impose 82% cuts on education and they're still debating whether this is actually going to happen. And so some people say it's posturing. Some people say it's actually going to happen. Some people say that it probably won't be as large as it could be. There's a lot of things going on. But in general, the Louisiana state government is saying lots of mean and nasty things to the Louisiana state university system so on the other end chris (laughs) we also have starbucks which is not not really the first thing you think about when you think about college except maybe in a slightly snarky sense college dropouts and and snarky not in you know you could you could take it snarkily but also just in the sense of Accurately, a lot of folks working as baristas and even managers at Starbucks are people who maybe started and didn't finish or maybe never even started college. 
But in the last year and a half, Starbucks has been, I guess, almost two years now, Starbucks has been partnering with Arizona State University and trying to figure out a way to enable its employees to get college degrees if they don't have them. And there was a great article in The Atlantic tracing out what they're doing and why and how. And it struck us because they're taking very much a winning slowly approach to it. Now, I have to say right up front, I'm a coffee snob. I don't actually drink Starbucks to Stephen's amusement. Indeed. But I do like what they're doing as a company here. And they are doing things that only a mega corporation could do. For example, my wonderful coffee shop that I frequent regularly and maybe at later today as we're recording this is a small business and they're going to be expanding to having two locations later this year. They just don't have the kinds of money coming in or the kinds of profits coming in that would ever allow them to make the kinds of moves that Starbucks does as a mega corporation. And so we thought it would be interesting to tackle all of these angles, maybe touch on Scott Walker and the craziness that is the Wisconsin education system and all of that along the way, and just look at how financial management and mismanagement and social justice and business responsibilities and the per perceptions about college and the value of a college degree and how these all fit together and interact and play off of each other and how we ought to think about them and what we ought to do. And again, as I said at the beginning of this, this is something that's important to us because we're actively involved in mm -hmm. it. Um, and we both, um, through various ways and means, intend to be involved in it in a, for a very long time. Right. And so it's it's of great consequence to us. And we haven't talked about it before because there wasn't really an angle for us to do so. <laughs> As it is with many topics, we'd love to talk about many things, but we just can't figure out how does this win slowly. And for the longest time, it's just looked like, well, <laughs> it's losing uh, quickly. <laughs> uh, there's yeah. just not a lot going on. Like, right. We can come up with ideas, but no one's going to put them into place. And so it's heartening to us to see that some people are putting things into place. And we'll definitely get to that. We're going to try to push that <laughs> farther out so that we have some hope at the end. Yes. Um, but it's really interesting how people talk about education in government. Um, so education is generally considered to be a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, good and generally and thing are all contestable in that <laughs> sentence. As actually, the word education is also contestable. So basically everything except is, is contestable <laughs> in that sentence. Unless you throw uh, a negation in there, in which case that's contestable too. There you go. So everything in the sentence is contestable. <laughs> but generally, people think that education is a good idea. Now, what this means in practice is a variety of different things. So if you're in the state of Louisiana, it doesn't mean hardly anything at all, apparently, because um, education apparently isn't very important if you're going to dramatically slash something that is vital to the operating of the organization. So there are people on LSU's campus who are concerned that they might not have enough money to have a fall semester. Now, there are also people who are saying that that's just posturing and that they're just trying to get more money out of the government. Everything is in flux there. But in general, the fact that the number 82% is even thrown around is a remarkable statement on the state of how government thinks about 
you know, education in the state of Louisiana. Now, there are many other problems in the state of Louisiana that clearly other money is going to address, whether or not we think those are real problems or whether those problems are valuable or more valuable than education is a topic for another day. But it's particularly interesting to see that there is a system where government is related to education and has been since, you know, the mid-1950s and even before that, because that's when the GI Bill really expanded um, the the reach of government in um, universities. But even before that, with land-grant universities and um, public universities have been around for a very long time. So education and government have a long history together. But is that infinite? Forever? Who knows? Right. One of the complicating factors in all of this is the reality that the cost of college has gone up extraordinarily over the last few decades, but that has happened at the same time as funding to it from state and federal governmental entities has also gone up extraordinarily. There is a very complex interplay between these and other factors. And so on the one hand, you have a small government and low tax ideologies sort of in the conservative parts of the conservative camp that are arguing that we need to cut all of our budgets, including the education budget, and people caught in the middle saying uh, that's that's our education system and people on the parts of the left saying we need to throw more money at this because it's so expensive and people cannot afford to do it. And the outcome has been well, you have things like this situation in Louisiana or Scott Walker's similar moves over the last year in Wisconsin that are decimating, and in this case, using the word almost perfectly literally, decimating the budgets yeah. of the education system there. We think that ultimately this is a very short-sighted approach. Even if we were to completely grant all of the aims of these legislatures – if we were to say that, yes, you need to balance the budget, you need to do it by cutting taxes or increasing taxes or I, – sorry, I just confused myself because the approach taken sometimes perplexes me – by cutting right. budgets and probably also increasing taxes, though that's rarely popular with the crowds that want to balance the budget. Even assuming that's true, we have gotten to the points we have by years and years of institutional change and institutional systems have been built up that take time to change. Trying to do this overnight is a recipe for catastrophe. It won't, it won't play out well. We can say that with very near certainty and the outcomes are likely to be much worse than a sort of incrementalism. Now, incrementalism doesn't play as well politically, but the actual way that society works is such that incrementalism is almost always necessary if you want to enact large-scale political and social change. Yeah. You can look at pretty much every large-scale social and political change over the past 150 years, and it's all been one step at a time and not not overnight. Even when things looked like they changed overnight, there was a long set of steps before them to get whatever that tipping point was to happen. So we're a big fan of incrementalism. You know, we could have put that as the name of our <laughs> podcast if we had really wanted. Um, so we're on board with that. But I think one thing that we have to um, acknowledge is that there has been federal funding going up over time. Mm -hmm. um, 
and there and there has been state funding going down over time. But the problem in some cases is a lot of federal money goes to for-profit colleges, <laughs> um, which which are generally again there's that word um, regarded as a big 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 failure. Right. Uh, there are not a lot of positive examples of for-profit colleges actually doing the thing, um, which is graduating students and getting them jobs. Um, Corinthian, in particular, um, was sued by the federal government for basically lying about the number of students that graduated <sighs> and the number of students that got jobs. And so they had to start liquidating their colleges, selling them off to people. And then they finally just couldn't get rid of these last 30 colleges and they just shut them down. And so a lot of these uh, federal monies um, go to students who are trying to go back to school, um, taking out federal loans, uh, which are you know government spending. That's part of what they are. Um, they are intended to be paid back, but mm -hmm. you know there's an initial outlay that comes far far <laughs> before the actual payment of them. So. A lot of, of spending – and this gets into the complex issues of you know, Pell grants as well as other types of subsidized grants and unsubsidized grants. And it gets into the weeds very quickly. And so if you have some of these more arcane forms of government payment, you might be listening to this podcast and saying, they have no idea what they're talking about. That's probably true. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is an extremely arcane system and that's part of what we don't like about it right. is that there's – entirely too much red tape and entirely too much ridiculous burden on the student to get money that goes to for-profit colleges that most people know don't graduate students in a timely manner and mostly just leave them with debt. Um, and this goes for places like Phoenix, Ryder, and uh, Corinthian, which is now no more. So – it's a it's a very big problem, as the article we're we're about to talk about regarding Starbucks points out. It has not been the case for the last few decades, at least, that on the whole, universities have treated their students as people who need help and coaching along the way. They've treated them primarily as revenue sources, at least in the bureaucratic sense. Now, don't mistake me. There are a lot of professors and faculty and staff in many, many institutions across the country who buck that trend. There are many, many schools that are trying to look out for their students, and there are many, many institutions that have set up good cultures. But I think it is nonetheless fair to say that the cultures we have set up in our educational system have not oriented themselves well to caring for students and helping them navigate that incredibly complex system. It's a system level problem, not necessarily an individual level problem. You might have individual guidance counselors and academic advisors and so on who are absolutely helping students do that. But as a system, everything from FAFSA to which is financial aid process and is hopelessly arcane. It has 105 questions on it and it was the bane of my existence as a college student and as a college student who had good scholarships, I cannot imagine having had to deal with it without that to the way that loans are reported while you're an undergrad. All of these things are ultimately inimical to 
the success of a student, especially a student who doesn't, as Stephen put it in a conversation before this, have very good parental support or advisor support or a great deal of their own cultural capital of just being an elite in the sense of knowing how to work the system when they start. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of students who don't have all of those things. There are a lot of students who don't really have any of those things. And so structuring our systems in such a way to help those students instead is important. But one thing we should talk about before we jump into how Starbucks and Arizona State are taking a very helpful stab in that direction is one other big picture systemic issue. Should everyone be going to college? Before we jump there, I have to say uh, Ryder College is not actually a for-profit university. I meant to say Strayer. Good correction. Sorry, Ryder University graduates, I apologize. <laughs> but uh, yeah, should everyone be going to college? No. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> More seriously. Uh, we do think the answer is no, and we do think that one of the problems that our educational system has is the idea that everyone needs and everyone should get a college degree. And the reality is a college degree is an expensive investment. It can be a very valuable investment, but it's an expensive investment. And because we have shaped college degrees to be, well, Culturally, the expectation is sort of for them to be vocational degrees rather than to be about citizen well, formation. It, There's well, a, this is this is the the qualm, <laughs> right? The, like, so this is some the, people this is the issue, yeah, yeah. So some people still want and desire a liberal arts education, mm -hmm. and so these are people who are planning to go on to higher education, to postgraduate education. So if you're if you know you're going to law school, if you know you're going to grad school then getting a liberal arts education is a great idea. Like, you know, if that's part of how you become suited to upper, you know, law school to, you know, getting, becoming a professor, like these are things you, you do, but, you know, getting a, a vocational degree is an, an important thing. If you don't plan on going into, you know, law or politics or pro pro professoriate or, you know, and and there's this tension in the middle where people try to go get vocational degrees and they don't like the vocational degree they have picked. Yeah. The colloquial, I tried to be an engineer, and then they go get a liberal arts degree, which is – used to be not that big a deal, right? Like if you just made it through college, that was fine. Um, it didn't really matter what sort of thing you got in the largest possible sense. You could find a job with a degree. And, and now – that's not necessarily as true. There's still ways that you can navigate the job market with any degree, but it's not as easy as showing up and being like, I got a four-year degree, man. Right. Well, and even that has been a pretty significant shift from the era when just having a high school degree was a pretty good mark and would get you a decent job and thus the prevalence of the GED and so on to demonstrate, you know, at, at the most basic level, you had a good good, well-rounded, basic public education. For many jobs in the American economy now, a four-year degree has become a baseline, and a four-year degree in a relevant subject has become a baseline. And that leads to people going to college who aren't interested in academics, are not interested in really much of anything that has to do with ultimately a, a career track, but have to get a degree to get there. And 
So we think that one of the issues that needs to be addressed and that is bigger than we can tackle in this episode, (laughs) because it's kind of massive and monstrous, is a cultural reorientation to education and to thinking about how we should handle vocational education versus liberal arts education and how to value workers and more importantly, how to value people as more than their work, but also how to value workers independent of the four-year careers degree system. Yeah, and there have been attempts to try to make these sorts of skills-based systems or um, merit-based kind of testing to show you have these skills. And of course, they come from the tech sector a lot. (laughs) um, And they are this sort of, we can fix how we qualify people for things. We can fix how we understand what people know. And largely, those have not become widely uptaken. They are they are mostly <laughs> niche things. They exist. They're not – I mean I'm struggling to name one off the top of my head, although I've read about them several times because they're just not a very big factor of the conversation when it comes to of higher education. So big picture takeaway number one was let's not be short-sighted and just cut the budgets. Even if long-term budgets need to be cut, incrementalism is better than urgent cutting because large-scale systems need time to change. And we got here over a long period of time and have created institutional structures. We need to rework those institutional structures. Large-scale takeaway number two is that restructuring is going to have to happen not only at the level of individual educational institutions, but really at a societal level about what our expectations are. Takeaway number three goes to a point we made two weeks ago in our In the Meanwhile discussion, namely, okay, great, we need to do all those kinds of things. Well, how can we make a start and what can we do while the system is still the way it is? So one way that we can make these small changes is through partnerships, the sort of which Starbucks is making with Arizona State University. So we'll link this article to you in the show notes. But the gist of it is that the CEO of Starbucks and a a higher up in the Arizona State system said, you know what? We're sick of people dancing around the question, making rhetorical statements, not doing anything, even though they have this very strong sense of what should be done. So let's just do something ourselves. So over a course of two years, Starbucks has now worked through the various permutations of this program so that now they will reimburse the fees for all the classes that you take online at Arizona State University if you are a uh, Starbucks employee. So if you're working at Starbucks, doing your thing, you can get college for free from Arizona State University because of your employment at Starbucks, and Starbucks will foot the bill. And so it, Arizona State is giving Starbucks a, de- a decreased rate, so they're not paying full market rate. Um, so that's one way that makes this sustainable. Another thing, like Chris said earlier, that makes it sustainable is that Starbucks is huge. <laughs> Another thing that makes it sustainable is that Arizona State is huge. They mm-hmm. already have 66,000 students. Many of um, whom are already online students. Arizona State has been 
at the forefront of trying to do online and do it well rather than just glom it on as a sort of, oh, yeah, we've got that too. Yeah. It does help. Yeah. So this is a fascinating approach. Um, as Chris and I have said before, as we talked about two weeks ago, corporations can do things that individuals can't or even mm-hmm. small corporations can't. And so it's a fascinating thing to see someone say, all right, we've got all this money. Let's use it. And again, as we said two weeks ago, in some ways you can look at this and be like, yeah, that's just an employee retention tool or a <laughs> recruiting tool. But that would go against the express purpose out of the mouth of the person who set it up, which said this is a social justice thing. Right. I think that this is important for society. And we shouldn't think that just because something has benefits to a company means that it's only self-motivated or is bad. In fact, one of our greatest arguments on winning slowly over the course of a beta season, a full season, and now most of yet another full season is that, in fact, doing the right thing and putting people first is often beneficial for your company in the long term. We think the universe is shaped that way. And and I'm not being hyperbolic. We really do think that the way that God built the universe to work means that when you love doing rightly by people, when you make it your goal not merely to be accomplishing greeds outcomes, but accomplishing good outcomes for your employees and your customers, things are going, generally speaking, as a rule, not without exceptions, but generally as a rule, they're going to go better for you. So we shouldn't take the fact that things now look nice for Starbucks in terms of attracting employees as a sign that this is a bad move. Quite the contrary, actually. Yeah. Of course people want to work at a company that's going to take good care of them. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just me, but duh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to knock this sort of thing. Um, there, Trust me, there are people who will do it. But it's... <laughs> it's this is socialism. Me, oh, my gosh. <laughs> but for, for me and for winning slowly more generally... This is the sort of thing that's great. Like this is why corporations exist. This is this is what it looks like, you right. know? And so we highly applaud Arizona State for taking a risk and Starbucks for being, you know, a pathbreaker uh because it couldn't happen without either of them, but it's much more of a risk um on Starbucks side than Arizona State side, although it is for Arizona State. Mm -hmm. So albeit a smaller one since they already have the systems in place and they just have to scale up their their systems a little more. So so that's the sort of thing that we would love to see more in education is people, corporations, and education coming together to find innovative ways to make the system work for everyone. Yeah. One of the things that struck me is how much of the quote-unquote innovation here was really a return to the way that the university system was originally conceived centuries ago of people working together, providing active support to students and building real relationships and it being a community supporting the process of learning and not merely being the pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and do it by yourself and go it alone mentality, but rather let your community 
support you in it and as a community take active steps to help people along the way whether that's academic advisors taking a real interest in the outcomes of their students to the point of calling them often to see how they're doing and to encourage them and to help them get the things they need or whether it's the company taking the step of saying this is important for our employees so we're going to pay for it and then learning along the way what works and what doesn't and saying oh this was a stumbling block. Okay, let's take that stumbling block out of the way and fix it. Great job and keep doing that. And we have often talked about the moral and ethical responsibilities of companies as they become larger, whether that's Google or Facebook or whether that is Starbucks or Walmart. And we see Starbucks doing that here and we applaud them. Good job. So before you go, we would like to draw your attention to something that you're probably having your attention drawn to anyway, but we'd like to acknowledge that we do know that it exists even if we're not covering it here on Winning Slowly, and that's the ongoing difficulties, unrest, rioting, trouble, however you want to phrase it, um, in Baltimore, where there's a lot of structural problems, a lot of police-related problems, a lot of inequality-related problems, and a lot of just what we think are justice-related problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are praying for a resolution there that takes into account the people who are being injusticed as well as those who are stuck in a system where there are their colleagues are doing injustice mm-hmm. and then those who are doing the injustice. And we want to see all of those addressed um, as as this goes forward. Um, and our hearts and prayers go out to those who have been affected physically, emotionally, um, and economically in the issue. We would encourage you all to look at a couple things we'll link in the show notes. One of them is essentially an essay posted to Twitter by the VP of the uh, Baltimore Orioles, and the other is a write-up on the police abuse in the Baltimore area by Connor Friedersdorf at The Atlantic. And the takeaway here. Uh, one takeaway here at least is that yes we want to see peace and yes we we do condemn rioting as a response but when we understand the system out of which that's being born we need to recognize that peace is often a response to justice in terms of the way our civic structures work and justice needs to happen here and until it does peace is going to be hard to come by so that is how we are praying our as Stephen said our hearts and our prayers are with everybody involved because there are a lot of good people in the police department who are fighting to do things well there and there are a lot of good people who are holding peaceful protests and pretty much getting ignored by the media and there are a lot of people who are broken and hurting who need restoration and that's what we ultimately hope comes out of this. You can find links to things we've mentioned in the show as well as to the music in the show notes at winningslowly.org. You can also subscribe to the show in iTunes or your favorite podcast app, and we would really appreciate it if you like the show and want others to find about it if you rate us on iTunes. That helps other folks find us. You can follow the show on Twitter or app.net at, at winningslowly, and you can follow me either of those places at, at Chris Show. And you can find me on Twitter at at Scaradini. Until next time, thanks for listening.
and they are doing things that only a, a major corporation maker. Wee. Wee.